Super Talk Mississippi media production. Well, free record on my count. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, roll A, fade up on A. Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Hey, good Friday afternoon, everybody. Bob Getty and Luke Johnson, Friday edition of the Eagle Hour. <clears throat> Excuse me, we're broadcasting from the First Bank Studios today. Laurel and Hattiesburg around the state and on the internet, wherever you're tuning in. We appreciate very much you listening. Kelly Sander will be joining us later in the show to wrap up the week. Excuse me again, Luke and I are about to interview Troy Dreyfus from the East Carolina Pirate Radio Network, old rivalry, East Carolina, familiar name, of course, here in South Mississippi. Opening segment of the show, sponsored by Dickie's Barbecue Pit, proud supporters of Southern Miss Athletics everywhere, and the Eagle Hour here in Mississippi. You can enjoy their delicious food seven days a week here in Hattiesburg. They're cooking it up every day fresh right by the mall. You can pick it up, take it home. You can have it delivered. You can now dine in again. Limited seating, of course, in restaurants in our area. But Dickie's is open and wants to serve you. What a great thing it would be to do this weekend. Treat your family to some Dickie's barbecue. Troy Dreyfus is with the Pirate Radio Network. That, of course, East Carolina University. And we're glad to have him on the Eagle Hour. Troy, thanks for coming on the show. Sure thing, Bob. Great to be on with you guys today. Appreciate you having me. Man, when we hear East Carolina, I, you know, I have to think back. Uh, some great, great football games between the two universities at times. Uh, I, I never really knew exactly how East Carolina fans uh, viewed it, but for Southern Miss, it was a great rivalry and uh, a team we always got very excited about seeing the Pirates come in here and play really in every sport. Well, I tell you, I think the feelings would would probably be mutual. I started uh, my East Carolina time back going back to 1989. So, uh, you know, we go back uh, as independents and then, of course, to all our days in Conference USA. And I think you could make an argument that the East Carolina-Southern Miss rivalry was probably the best in, in Conference USA at the time, especially in football. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for the Pirates, I think we were on the, if memory serves me correct, Bob, we were on the wrong side of that rivalry many <laughs> times. But uh, there were some great games, and, and we always enjoyed uh, going up uh, uh, against the Golden Eagles, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, I, I know our fans look forward to it, and I always enjoyed when uh, your fans came to Greenville. I always thought it was uh, I always thought it was a great uh, similarity between the two programs back in those days. You know, both with with uh, schools within their state from larger conferences, but both East Carolina and Southern Miss very competitive and. Uh, really had made a, a national footprint for their own self. And I always thought that was one of the great things about the rivalry. The, the schools were so similar, the athletic programs. I, I agree 100%. And, and I think, you know, you take East Carolina, sometimes we can get overshadowed by the ACC schools, but we put football first, where ACC traditionally, uh, especially back in the day, was a basketball conference. And, I, I, you know, Southern Miss might get overshadowed by some of the SEC schools at times. But right. you guys always <laughs> put football first, too. And I think both schools – in, in both cities, you know, Hattiesburg and Greenville, there was a lot of similarities. And uh, you, 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 each program, you had to do more with less. And that probably is still the case today, Correct. trying to do more with less. Uh, you guys know that fight as well as we do. And 
I agree. I think that schools had a lot more in common than we had apart. Right, and two, and now two great baseball programs at both schools, and I'm going to assume pirate baseball is still very popular with you guys. Absolutely, Cliff Cowan has come uh, home to lead the program, and he was. You know, the sad thing about this coronavirus deal is there's so many uh, tragic stories with it, but we lost the baseball season, and the Pirates were really set up to have a fantastic year, and we'll never know how far this could have been the year or not, but. Uh, ECU baseball is in unbelievable hands with Cliff Godwin, and the program is as stronger as strong as ever. Right, yeah, great program, no, no question. And I, and I always follow East Carolina to tell you the truth. I, I'm always looking to see how they did in every sport uh, on the weekends, and uh, I hope that uh, you guys have nothing but continued success out there. And now, now you have uh, another similarity between the schools. You have the old Southern Miss athletic director. Yeah, you know, John Gilbert has come in, and, and really, uh, I, I really like John Gilbert. I think he has done, uh, he's come in during difficult times. And unfortunately for John, he's had to come in and, and clean up a mess that he's inherited uh, at times what some people have referred to as a train wreck financially with the athletic department. So uh, the guy before him, Jeff Comfort, did him no favors. He really ran the, the department financially in the ground and the football program in the ground with the, with the hiring of uh, letting Russell McNeil go and the hiring of Scotty Montgomery. So John Gilbert is kind of now the cleanup guy in many ways. So he's had to make some tough decisions with the chancellor, and tough times call for tough decisions. But somebody's got to show some leadership around here, and John Gilbert's doing it. All right, Luke Johnson's back on the show after a few days of being gone. Luke, get in the conversation. Troy, thanks so much for being on. One of the uh, hard decisions that John Gilbert's had to make is uh, just came out that East Carolina is uh, having to cut four sports programs, uh, men and women's swimming and diving, and men and women's tennis. Southern Miss uh, lost their swimming program. It, it's been many years ago. But, you know, tennis is one of those programs. It is in, in considered by some people, you know, it's kind of a peripheral sport. But at the same time, uh, we've watched the Southern Miss team, especially last year. We had an undefeated guy in singles, and, and you know, you're, you're talking about 68 student athletes. You're talking about nine coaches. Th- that that hurts. It's one of those just difficult decisions about how COVID and just the the state of the economy right now for East Carolina to cut those four uh, programs. Yeah, unfortunately, no. Uh, you know, no athletic director wants to come in and have to do that. And definitely, John Gilbert did for the longest time probably tried to do whatever he could do to have to avoid this. But with the way the situation is now, I think East Carolina was headed in this direction even if COVID-19 never happened. If there wasn't a pandemic, we were headed down the road where there were so much uh, financial problems with the athletic department. They were going to have to cut the sports. Now, it might have been two sports instead of four. What I think happened is this pandemic basically gaslighted a problem that was already there, at least for East Carolina. And you're seeing this problem this is not unique for ECU. This is, a, a, as you mentioned, you guys are dealing with it, and just about every university is dealing with it on some form or fashion. But they looked at all the sports and, and what I realistically could be cut, unfortunately, for tennis. And, I, look, I like tennis. I grew up playing varsity tennis, so I, I'm not anti-tennis, but they were having to rent two facilities off campus. Uh, most of the tennis mm-hmm. players were international students. So I think when they started weighing how much it was costing the program to have these facilities and then – bringing in out-of-state or international students. I think they, they looked at all the factors, and that probably uh, went against it. And they said, look, we've got to streamline down. we got to get to the minimum 16, and somebody had to go. And, unfortunately, uh, those four programs took the fall. 
We've uh, we've you know been trying to keep a track on different schools that have uh, been having to cut back. Thankful, it looks like Bowling Green is going to save their baseball program. But you look across the American Athletic Conference, you guys are in familiar foes with any Southern Miss uh, fan out there: Memphis, SMU, Tulane, Houston. How has this affected other teams in the American? Well, I think some programs. I mean, and now UConn just left the conference. But I believe, I thought I read they were like 40 or $50 million in the hole. Uh, so, I mean, wow. compared to UConn's financial problems, we was golden. So, uh, but I think every school in the league is struggling financially with their athletic department, some form or another. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's going to have to cut sports. But, uh, you know, I think everybody is taking a look at their expenses, where they can save. And, you know, especially with the uncertainty of football season, guys. I mean, I know we all want football to get in this year, and they're trying to make it sure it can hopefully happen. But there is still a lot of uncertainty, and that's not a guarantee at this point. And I know if football season can't be played, at least for schools like East Carolina, it would be financially devastating. Hey, Troy, we may hold you over if you've got a few minutes. We have a short three-minute break uh, between this segment, and we've got about 90 seconds left uh, here in the first segment. Is that good with you? I'd love to stay on with you guys. No problem at all. All right. So let me ask you this question. Uh, we have been discussing this this week. You may have to finish this up in the next segment. Only about 60 seconds left. But do you have any idea how East Carolina's football staff plans to, to navigate through this uh, COVID-19 issue? We saw earlier this week where I think it was four players at Oklahoma State, four at Marshall we learned yesterday six at Arkansas State already tested positive for COVID-19 when they got on campus. Any thoughts to how East Carolina plans to navigate this? Well, that, that's a great question. I talked to Coach Mike Houston about a week ago and uh, not too long ago talked to athletic directors. They're trying to put in all these protocols now. The problem is, as you guys know, it's a moving target. And uh, you can put in one protocol and then all of a sudden something happens and then it, it completely changes what, what you may have to do. So. Uh, they are still working on those. They haven't released all that information yet. I think they are still working on that. Right now, East Carolina, a number of the players have come back for voluntary workouts. So they're letting the first step is this month, even this week, they're letting the guys use the practice field and and just practice among themselves and do some voluntary uh, workouts out there. They hope to, in early July, according to the athletic director, John Gilbert, bring them back officially on campus to start. And really what I've heard from Coach Houston was the first thing they want to do is wait is get back in football condition, that they want to go straight to conditioning for nothing but two weeks, maybe even before they touch football. So you got to remember, these guys have been out for a while. Right. Uh, and not that they are not working out at home, but gyms have been closed. That You know they're not working out as hard as if you've got a strength and conditioning coach in your face. So they got to get back in football shape. So I think the first step is getting them on campus and getting them trained and back conditioned and then see where it goes from there. All right, we're talking to Troy Dreyfus from the East Carolina Pirate Radio Network, uh, old friends at East Carolina University. We're going to continue our conversation with Troy on the other side of the break. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. Welcome back. Friday edition of the Eagle Hour. Bob and Luke, First Bank Studios at Laurel and Hattiesburg. Kelly will be joining us here shortly. 
uh, as we wrap up another week uh, of the program. This segment sponsored by Campus Bookmark, campusbookmark.net. Wherever you live, wherever you're listening today, any part of the country, you can order your Southern Miss swag at campusbookmart.net. They'll have it delivered right to your front door. You can check out their great inventory online or they're back open and you can uh, visit them at their store uh, located on Hardy Street right across the street from the corner of the Southern Miss campus. We're talking to Troy Dreyfus from the East Carolina Pirate Radio Network. And Troy, the break kind of interrupted us, but uh, you and I were discussing this during the break. There's so many variables with this. For example, you guys are supposed to open against Marshall. Marshall's already reporting COVID-19 uh, in, in their camp. And as we were discussing yesterday, you know, traditionally, when you go into a football season, you worry about losing your star players to injuries. Well, if there's football yeah. this fall, that's still a possibility. But my word, now you could lose your star players to a virus. It could spread, say, through your offensive line. Uh, there's just so many uncertainties. Have you had a chance to uh, to talk to the East Carolina staff and and see what their thought process is regarding all of these landmines in front of them? Uh, I have discussed that, and I don't think there's a lot of easy answers. Uh, that's part of the problem. Right. I think that, that there are so many, uh, as you said, unknown variables with this. And also with this, you know, now if there's any good news, I guess, with the coronavirus, is that it seems like when you, if younger people get it or, or, or guys college age, people can have it and not have any symptoms. So they're not necessarily sick. There's different ranges of this thing from you're totally fine and you have it to you need a respirator and you're in the hospital. So it also depends on the severity. But if they have it and they could still be contagious, then you need to quarantine them, right, for, to, right. until it gets out of their system. So then how long before, it, you know, it seems like it's a two-week period to try and get that done. But as you said, if they've passed it on to the whole offensive line and the offensive line needs to be out for two weeks, you're decimated as a football team. Correct. So, I, you know, I, the protocols, that's where it's going to get a little tricky. And if somebody has it, I don't see that there's no way they're going to green light them. It's just like an injury, like you were saying, that mm-hmm. they could play. I, they're not going to be able to play if they have it or practice or be around people for that much. So I, that that is one of the tricky things about this football season that they're going to have to navigate, and I think they're going to try and do their best you know, you see the. It's one thing if you're a professional sports team and you can keep everybody isolated at Walt Disney World, you know, and, and they stay in their bubble. I don't know how you do that with a uh, hundred student athletes on a football team that are going to college and still living a life. So that's going to be tricky. I, I've asked the same questions, guys. I don't have. I haven't gotten the answers yet. Let me just say that right. I think that's things they're still trying to work out and. I don't know if they know what the answers will be quite yet. All right, same thing in regard to attendance. We've we've heard from some schools they're going to maybe allow 50% capacity. Just last week we we saw a story here where there was some scuttlebutt here about only allowing a third of the capacity of the Rock uh, to be filled if if they play football. You guys have any of those discussions? Well, the priority deadline, they are selling tickets, and the priority deadline to order tickets is, is June 10th. I think here they could actually use the season ticket possibly as an advantage. Hey, if you want to see ECU football, you need to be a season ticket holder. It is possible that they could end up just going to season ticket holders that have tickets, not these single-game tickets. I, now, I will say I have not heard any talk as far as yet of them limiting the crowd. But unfortunately, at East Carolina, I think we've already done that to ourselves with the way the program has been in the past. The, the running joke was we were doing social distancing before it was cool. 
Right. Right. Uh, our season right. ticket sales number is way down. You know, we're in the Mike Houston's here in rebuilding mode and trying to build the program back up. But I do think there'll be a certain, you know, our fan base is getting a little bit older. There'll be a certain percentage of fans that just won't feel comfortable in a big group yet, even in late August. So they'll, they'll choose to stay home and watch it on TV. There's other fans that have just decided, hey, I'll come back to the program when it starts winning again. You know how human nature is, guys. Right. People want to support a winner. And we haven't been to a bowl game in four or five years, you know, much less a winning season. So it, it, it's one of those things where I don't think that's going to be an issue. It's just a matter if they want people to space that. We've got plenty of room in the stadium. It's a 50,000-seat stadium. Uh, we, we, you know, it, as our best crowd last year was in the 30s. So we got plenty of room to space out. That's not going to be an issue. We, they, they just have not given any guidance yet to fans as far as what the requirements will be. And when I talk to ECU officials, they're waiting because things keep changing by the week. As you guys know, right. well, uh, how things are today could be very different a month from now. Right. But if it makes you feel any better, Troy, social distancing w- would not have been a problem at some of our home games the last couple of years as well. So, so we again, again, see, here's the similarities between Southern Miss and East Carolina, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. both programs are, are trying to build that fan base back up, especially in football. Right. So, uh, right. This, I tell you, a pandemic doesn't help that. No, I know, that no. I know for sure. No, it doesn't. Luke? <laughs> uh, Troy, to follow up on that, you know, the the, athlete, the American has much better TV deals uh, than Conference USA does. Have you seen, though, the trade-off with people being able to have more access to East Carolina content, more access to games, spe- specifically football, where they don't go into Dowdy Ficklin, where they just stay out in the parking lot and watch it, or they watch it on their smartphone? Has that been a driving force for less attendance other than, you know, winning always fills the stadium? But we, we feel like that the more content out there, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah, you get income, but at the same time, you have less people show up at the games. Uh, I agree. It is an absolute double-edged sword, and I have seen that. And I've seen it with people I know that support the program and, and, and lifelong members of the Pirate Club. And sometimes they say, you know what, I'm, we're blessed here in East North Carolina. We're not very far from – beautiful beaches we've got great rivers there's a lot of outdoor recreation hunting and fishing and uh, i've talked to guys and say you know what i'm going to go do this on the weekend but i'm still going to watch the game i'm still going to follow the program but i'm not going to be there and it's so easy to put on espn or pull it up on your phone and watch the game you can still be actively engaged as a fan and you don't have to be in attendance anymore every game is available on a digital platform and i think that has played into over the years a decline in attendance. And to overcome that, you've got to have a really great, exciting football team and an incredible atmosphere and super-friendly, uh, fan-friendly environment and a reason uh, give fans a reason to show up in person that they can't get on their TV screen or, or, or mobile phone. And that's the challenge I think everybody is facing right now. And it's not just college. I think even sometimes uh, it can affect some certain NFL teams the same way. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons that, that I bring that up is there is a huge game on the schedule for East Carolina this year that's just not just with football, but they're one of the reasons why we want uh, COVID-19 to be done away with. We want football and now what we call week zero. Uh, it is the 50th year of um, when the Marshall uh, football team, the, the tragedy is portrayed in the movie. We were Marshall. Um, I think it was in November of 1970 when that plane went down, all 75 people on board. Um, tragically passed away. 
They are playing a week zero game. Marshall is coming to Dowdy Ficklin in Greenville. And that is that, now with Navy and Notre Dame being postponed, the game was supposed to be in Ireland. That is the week zero game for college football that weekend. Yeah, and it was going to be a big deal here anyway. I think with those other games getting moved, it just became a bigger deal. And there are a lot of special ceremonies and recognition and remembrances planned for for the folks from Marshall that are coming down. And there is a strong bond between our two schools, too. And obviously it's a tragic bond, but uh, Marshall left East Carolina and left Greenville that night of that tragic plane crash. And uh, I hope that that game can be played because I do know I am actually personal friends with with a a guy that is coming down whose dad was on that plane. Uh, and it had wow. a personal connection to that. So he was, uh, his dad was Frank Loria, who actually was an assistant coach with Marshall mm-hmm. and, a, and a former player and a Hall of Famer at Virginia Tech. And his son and I are personal friends. And I know his family was coming down, so hopefully we can get that game in because it is, that is more than just football, guys. You know, that, that is about life and bigger picture than just football and the bonds that unite us as people. So, I, I agree with you. I hope that something doesn't happen, the game doesn't get postponed, because it, it would be uh, tremendous to be able to remember those folks that have been involved in their families that are planning to come, and also exposure for both programs. Uh, it, it's a chance for Marshall and East Carolina to showcase their football teams on the national stage when no one else is around. Right, for sure. Well, hopefully hopefully that'll happen. Troy, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us. We kept you longer than we told you initially, but uh, – We've enjoyed our conversation with you. I want you to know that we all down here, of course, love our Golden Eagles, but there are, there remain a lot of East Carolina fans in this area. I think that's fair to say. I'm one of them, and uh, I hope that uh, you guys have a great year, and we wish you nothing but success out there at ECU. Well, Bob, Luke, I, I appreciate you guys having me on, and I, I would say once again, East Carolina has a tremendous uh, affinity for the Golden Eagles, too. Uh, personally, I would love to see us get back uh, Southern Miss on the schedule again in football and maybe try and reunite that series potentially. So uh, I, I hope one day we can meet down the road and on the fields, and it would be a lot of fun because uh, East Carolina fans think a lot of uh, Southern Miss, too. All right, good deal, Troy. Stay safe, man, and uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Anytime, all the best. All right, Troy, drive for us, everybody. From the East Carolina Pirate Radio Network, Kelly Sanders lurking out there, hopefully not in the public, lurking somewhere out there. We're going to locate him and bring him on the Eagle Hour to wrap up the week right after this. Tuned in to the Eagle Hour. The Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. Back on a Friday, the third segment of the Eagle Hour brought to you every day by 4th Street Bar and Grill, located on 4th Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Check them out on Facebook. See what the entree is for the daily $8.95 lunch. That includes a free drink. All that at 4th Street Bar and Grill. Proud sponsor of the Eagle 
hour. Luke and Bob from the First Bank Studios in Hattiesburg and beautiful downtown Laurel. Appreciate Troy Dreyfus uh, from East Carolina um, joining us in those first two segments. Just a lot to unpack and a lot to uh, to talk about. Kelly Sander joins us now on the phone. And Kelly, sure would be nice uh, in the next few years if we look down there in, in East Carolina. Not even on the not only on the football schedule, but would be nice if we saw them on the the baseball schedule as well. And I think part of part of what added to that rivalry was just some of the big time plays that happened on both teams. You know, uh, game, the, the pass that Brett Favre threw against East Carolina still goes down as one of the wildest plays ever. Yeah, it's a really good rivalry. You know, when you think about it. Um, so let's let's certainly hope so. There's some news breaking out of the NFL, guys, just moments ago. You know, with the with the NBA now going to open the season late in July, playing that tournament down in Orlando. Well, Orlando is really going to be a hotbed for sports activity because Walt Disney World has offered to let the Cincinnati Bengals play their games in Orlando, stating that it would only be appropriate that one Mickey Mouse outfit could host another. So the Redskins are coming to play them. Is that what you're saying, Kelly, in Orlando? (laughs) That would... That would really double the uh, double the fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, all, all kidding aside, there is some there is some movement today, guys, in, in high school uh, sports. Uh, the school department of education through the state of Mississippi is really going to start looking in earnest forward to the next academic year, starting next Thursday. Next Thursday, they will really start planning about uh, what the next school year will look like. There, the, Alabama, the state of Alabama, has announced that they're not going to start classes this fall until after Labor Day, which would, of course, be early September as opposed to early August, which has traditionally happened. That could be in conjunction with Alabama. That could be a proposal on the table. Another proposal on the table would be that students would alternate days actually physically going to the high school, and the other two days out of the week they would be uh, online. So, for example, the juniors and seniors would go to the building of their high school on Monday and Wednesday, and the juniors and seniors would be online Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then the freshmen and sophomores would go to high school on Tuesdays and Thursdays and be online Monday and Wednesdays. They would then use Friday as a remedial day you know, for catching up on any, any learning that needed to take place. That would open the buildings as is currently the rule that the buildings have to be open in order for sports to take place. And that would also take care of social distancing where you wouldn't have near as many people in the school uh, at the same time. So those are some of the things being discussed, or d- discussed rather, not discussed. But um, when it comes to the schedule, you know, because if you started, if you didn't start school till September, then you wouldn't start the season till mid-September. You might be pushing games back into the colder months which essentially gets into the next flu season, which they certainly don't want to do. So one thing that will, will no doubt be discussed is shortening the high school football season and by simply eliminating the games that are non-district games. So you would only play the teams in your district, the games that count toward the playoffs, and then go from there. So you could still start school late, but essentially not miss any football that counts, so to speak. So this is all going to be... They're all going to start talking about this next Thursday. But Dr. Dobbs, um, as you know, he's been on the press conferences with the governor and others have been. They've all got to get on the same page here with educators as to how this is going to take place. But that's still 
no guarantee that football is going to take place because as athletes have come back to school, more and more schools across the state, public and private, are already reporting that when kids have come back for workouts, there have been cases of COVID-19. In fact, um, on the college front, CBS Sports is reporting that Alabama yesterday, the University of Alabama, had five football players test positive. So here we go, guys. We still don't know anything. And and it's like in the general public, it's it's not that that means those kids are going to get terribly sick from it. They probably won't. But they can infect the coaches. They can infect, you know, they can infect everybody around them. And, uh, boy, it's just, it's just such a nightmare. Uh, as, and you were right, Kelly. Yeah, you made a comment earlier this week, and I, I caught that article last night that in Los Angeles alone, since the protests have broken out, they're getting a thousand new cases a day of COVID 19 in the Los Angeles area that they're finding. So, and that's, that's to be expected. I yeah. mean, so all of this could really have an effect. I guess what I'm trying to say is all of the protesting and rioting, whatever you want to call some of it, around the country, it could have a negative effect on the start of football season. It's, it's not just that, Bob, but it's also, you know, in, in places where things are a little bit more calm, you know, governors are starting to, to loosen the reins, as it were, and so, so restaurants are reopening, people are starting to regather. So, um, you know, people are getting to know each other again, and... Just that math alone is going to, you know, cause the case rate to go up. But how serious is serious, you know? And then, um, you know, if on a football, you know, if five or six guys on a football team test positive, do you simply take them out of the equation, or do you take the whole team right. out of the equation? Right. If you play a team where other players have been, um, you know, positive, then so again, they they have to decide on whether they're going to take the the people who test positive out of play, or are you going to take the whole team, you know, as a precautionary measure? Right. And and they're very big decisions and very important ones right. still to be made. But next Thursday, they'll start tackling, so to speak, this coming fall. Now, Luke, while you were gone, Kelly revealed two really, really amazing facts uh, in your absence. A, he revealed that people that live out in Canebrake with him actually loan money to banks whereas the rest of us borrow money from banks. Kelly clarified that for us. And he also clarified uh, when he about the NBA coming back. I asked him if LeBron James had approved of that, and uh, he said LeBron was busy, so LeBron had assigned that decision to God. Um, LeBron was too busy taking six steps in the lane before he dunked, so that's probably what, what he was doing. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I know this, Kelly, though, you know, you're talking about the high school stuff. I've already seen, and I guess it's a good sign, I've already seen high schools publish, like, full-blown color schedules. I mean, graphics, everything to hang up, and a lot of those games, you know, start the third week, fourth week of August. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, maybe that's just a positive spin on it. Maybe that's a, a way to get people excited about a possibility. When do you when do you think they're going to make that decision, though? Well, they're going to, like I said, they're going to start talking about it next Thursday, and all superintendents and, and the panel that is going to help the state superintendent make these decisions are indeed superintendents, many of which are former football coaches. So that's good that they're that they're going to have some football input, so to speak, on how this goes. But to the point that you made, Luke, I asked several high school coaches just that thing. I said, "You're already publishing this stuff." You're planning business as usual. 
And one of them made a really good point. This, Kelly, we have to do that because we're asking our players to come in here and get in condition and lift weights and make all the sacrifices that you have to make to be ready to go. If we were to sit there and say, hey, you need to come and lift weights, but we may not be playing this year. You know, well, how are kids going to interpret that? You know, right. well, then I, I really don't have to work out that hard. You know, I don't, I don't have to put everything, you know, into this. Um, so it is, it's definitely uh, cosmetic. They have to, coaches have to make it look like they're, just to keep, you know, keep their players motivated and keep their nose to the grindstone to get ready uh, just in case. Because even if the proposal goes through where they're only going to play the district games, they're still going to have to be ready to play. You know, they yeah. just won't have to get, they just won't have to be ready to play as quickly, which under the circumstances would probably be prudent. So it, I, it I would think be that, and go ahead. Going back to college, you know, one of the proposals on the table is that they might go to a six week camp. Let me just emphatically say something as a former college football player, and I know I know I'm a punter. But I was out there every minute of every day and ran sprints at the end. What I did in between special teams period and uh, the sprints at the end is irrelevant for this conversation. Anyway, six weeks of camp would be like the same feeling of like six months. I'm still in favor of, of college. If they open them up, they need to bring them in, let them shake the rust off, and give them a couple weeks to do that. Then they need to at least give them a week break, maybe a week and a half break before they bring them in for normal camp. Um, but they got to make these decisions pretty quick. And we'll talk more about it on the other side of the break. Southern Miss, you know, starting those uh, voluntary workouts. People can use the field and, and such. Um, but I just don't think it's a good idea to, to make those guys go through six weeks of a preseason camp. Well, I think it's probably just the fact that they haven't been doing anything for a while. They figured they would, they would need the extra time to, you know, get guys in shape and to get in condition because it is, you know, old game or new game, it is still rough to play football. you got to be some kind of tough. You're still 40% positive, 60% negative about high school, Kelly? Yes. 40-60. against. I got you. All right. Conversation continues on the Eagle Hour. We'll wrap up another week next. Stay right there. To the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. We came back on air. I don't know what they're talking to me about. I really don't. Fourth segment of the Eagle Hour brought to you every day by Toyota of Hattiesburg. Located in uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi on Highway 98. If you're out this weekend thinking about getting a new ride, swing by Toyota of Hattiesburg or go online to toyotahattiesburg.com and search their entire inventory. Kelly Sanders, should we reveal what he accidentally of the Eagle Hour. What he accidentally said to us during the break. Should we reveal that to our listening audience? Uh, I, I, I think we would we would have a payroll of two if you were to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I might give myself up here in just a minute. Anyway, a couple news don't, and notes. Don't. Freshman 
pitcher for Southern Miss baseball, Ben Etheridge, who we were really excited about. He threw some on Saturdays. He's from Collinsville, Mississippi, West Lauderdale High School. Freshman All-American honors uh, this past week by Collegiate Baseball. So congratulations to Southern Miss starting pitcher freshman Ben Etheridge on freshman All-American honors. Coach Mo of soccer announces three new signees to Golden Eagle ladies soccer team. Mia Ryan from Cypress, Texas. She's a defender and a forward coming in. Blessing Kingsley from Carlo, Ireland, a forward and midfielder. And then Elis Spindola from Germany. She's a forward. She's coming in. So lots of uh, offensive power coming in for uh, Coach Mo and assistant coach Carly Malden. And then on the uh, golf front, uh, Southern Miss uh, graduate Valentina Hopt is will be the first in the women's golf program ever to tee off in an LPGA event. Uh, the tournament uh, will take place in Ohio and it, it got pushed back because of uh, COVID-19. 2021, Southern Miss golfer Valentina Hopt will take part in an LPGA event. So pretty incredible for uh, some stuff, uh, awards and notifications. And, uh, man, pretty cool. First lady ever to play in a LPGA, uh, LPGA event will take place next year. Hey, big big fans of the show. I was I was having lunch with a guy the other day, and he, and he threw out a trivia question. I'll throw it to you guys. Southern Miss trivia. You should know it because uh, because I happen to know it, and I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. But who was the the highest NFL draft pick of all Southern Miss football players throughout the years? Who was drafted in the highest position? Hmm. Right. Anybody uh, know? I don't. No. Ray Guy, nineteenth, nineteenth overall, first round, nineteen seventy. No, Ray, Ray Guy was a first round pick, but this guy was higher. Who would that be, Kelly? Hanford Dixon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hanford Dixon was the highest, um, and I think there have been four that have been taken, or four or five taken in the first round. Hanford Dixon, uh, Ray Guy, um, uh, Lewis Lips, and then. Oh gosh, there's one more. Oh, You're James, right. James. Ray went. Ray went 23rd overall in 1973. Hanford went 22nd overall. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. So Hanford Dixon. Yeah, it's a good trivia question. Hanford Dixon was drafted in the highest. Of, and I think was James Henry taken in the first round too by the Falcons or, um, I don't know. I don't know. But at any rate, it was it's a good good question anyway. Hanford Dixon has to be one Tony's, of the top ten. No players in the Southern Miss history. Right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I need to correct the record. I need to correct the record. No? It wasn't Hanford? Tony Smith is the highest he uh, was? pick. Tony Smith, Tony Smith went in the he went 19th overall in the 1992 draft. Hmm. You sure he wasn't a second that round was pick? The, I'm looking uh, Wikipedia okay. uh, never lies. 1992. That's the pick that that Atlanta traded Green Bay for Brett, and Tony okay. Smith got drafted in '92. Yeah, so you've got you've got Tony Smith in 1984. Lewis Lips went 23rd overall. 1981, Hanford went 22nd overall. 1973, Ray went 23rd overall, and I may have seen one more. No, that's it. So four total. Four. Okay. Well, man, I, I really thought it was Hanford Dixon, but you—you uh, you kids and your Wikipedia. <laughs> now I can go We're, in and change Wikipedia that, that and Wikipedia put like Kelly Sander, 
I can put Kelly Sander as the first overall in 1983, taken well, by the New York Jets. You know, I can do that if you want me to. We well, you know you were talking with Brother Dreyfus from East Carolina, and he was saying, you know, of course, a lot of players probably haven't been doing anything for three or four months. Well, full confession, you guys, I too have not been working out. For- <laughs> You're kidding! Come on, now. <laughs> no, right? come on, now, Kelly. So we even have to get in in shape. But then again, round is a shape, so. Yes, it is. And they're probably serving ice cream again at Dickie's if that'll help you with your regimen any, uh, Kelly. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Yeah, some brisket and some I heard a dirty rumor. I heard a dirty rumor, Kelly, that Bob is getting a pedicure this weekend. No, that will never happen. And I hope no one on this show will ever subject themselves to that type of uh, feminine humiliation. You wouldn't know of anybody that would do anything like that, would you, Luke? I mean, you know, it, there's rumors out there that, that you were actually going to do it, so just get a picture of it. But, I mean, think about it. I mean, it's like a foot massage, and you, you get cleaned. And, you know, hypothetically, if somebody were in the mountains all week long and they've been working in their yard the last few weeks on a remodel or so, and maybe they just want their feet to feel a lot better. I mean, it might no, be permissible to please do that. Say, no, play it's not so. Come that's on, a Jeopardy. That's a Jeopardy category. Things millennials would do. There you go, Kelly. <laughs> or another question, things that you and I would have gotten the crap beat out of us by our friends if we'd ever done. Am I and right? Hung up in the locker. I'm yeah. confident of my manhood. I'll tell you that much. I am. It's so just a rumor, man. folks. Luke Johnson is not going to get a pedicure. No man associated with the Eagle Hour will get a pedicure. Assure me, Kelly. I'm, I'm out. I'm right. out. Southern Miss. To the top. To the top. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.